Well, let's go ahead and transition to a time of looking at God's word together. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and flip with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And while you find your way there, just as we've done each week during this series, we want to pause and pray for different people during this season of coronavirus. So this week in particular, we want to pray for teachers and students and and those who are suddenly thrust into homeschooling like us, even when we're not called to it. So just join me in a season or an a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we love you um, and we thank you for our educational systems. We thank you for our teachers and for our students and for the administration and, and for all the learning that goes on in those various spaces. And so God, I pray particularly for the teachers that you would give them an extra measure of grace during this season while, while they're adapting to, to teaching online and, and staying connected to their students and likely deeply missing their students and the, and the daily interaction with them. And so God, would you bless them in their homes. And Father, we pray for the students that learning would not stop, but learning would continue. And and Lord, uh, particularly for those who are seniors and those who are missing sports and band and different seasons, God, would you comfort them and encourage them in the midst of of that loss and that grief. And then God, we pray for all those who are now at home all day with their children. Would you give us, God, patience? Would you give us grace? Would you give us mercy? Would you give us kindness? Would you give us forgiveness? And Father, we pray you would bind families together in ways that we wouldn't apart from this thing. And so, God, we thank you and we look forward to the day where we get to gather, not just in churches again, but across our city again, including in schools. And so, God, we thank you again for all those involved in that. We ask that you would bless them in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, Last week, I talked about uh, as long as we're going to be doing digital gatherings, we're going to be doing a sermon series entitled Gospel in Weird Times. So week one, we talked about the gospel in weird times. And and when we know the gospel, when we love the gospel, the gospel gives us great hope that we can have an enduring and sound hope in Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about the peace that the gospel affords us, that when we are in Christ, we can have a rest and a calm and a peace because we know that we're going to be better than okay in Christ Jesus. This week, what we're going to talk about is joy, the gospel in weird times, and the joy we can have as God's people. So before we go any further, let me do just a quick definition of joy for us, Uh, because the Bible is just replete with commands to rejoice always, to be full of joy, to find your joy in the Lord. So so let's talk for a second about how the Bible uh, would define joy. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, in doing a scan of the word joy throughout scripture will say that joy is an exceeding gladness in the Lord despite our trials and tribulations. That we can have a joy despite anything we're facing, anything we're going through because our joy is not in our circumstances, but our joy, our exceeding gladness is in the Lord. And so uh, oftentimes what you're going to hear is people are going to kind of pit happiness and joy against each other. You might hear a phrase like happiness is secular and, and joy is sacred. And let me just say that the Bible does not have a place for that. The Bible will use the words happiness and joy interchangeably because God is not only after our joy, but he's after our holiness, which always results in our happiness and our joy. And what God ultimately wants from us is that our joy is not sourced in anything in this world, but our joy is sourced in him and in him alone 
alone. Our happiness is in Christ alone. So joy is much less about whether it's happiness or joy and much more about where it finds its source. And and so we ask ourselves right off the bat, where is my joy found? Where is my joy, joy sourced from? Do I only have joy when things are going well? Am I only happy when things are in my favor? Am I only joyful when it's all rainbows and unicorns in my life? Or despite trials, despite tribulations, I can remain joyful because my joy is found in the Lord alone. And if you do a scan of church history, you will see that Christians have always been a really peculiar people, a really weird people to a watching world. A lot of time, the the, the world will disciple you into thinking that you should be miserable and and you should be full of grief. and, And yet the Bible will disciple us into something altogether differently. The Bible will disciple us and say that even though you experience grief, even though you experience loss, even though you experience pain, you can still have joy in the middle of it, joy through it all. And you look back at the early Christians and everything they faced from persecution to suffering to loss and grief, and they had a testimony of being a joyful people. One evidence we have of that is from the Athenian philosopher Aristides. When he's writing to the emperor Hadrian, he says this, listen with me. Every morning and all hours, on account of the goodness of God toward them, they, that is Christians, render praise and laud him over their food and their drink. They render him thanks. And if any righteous person of their number passes away from this world, they rejoice and give thanks to God. And they follow his body as though he were moving from one place to another. And when a child is born to them, they praise God. And if again it chances to die in infancy, they praise God mightily as for one who passed through the world without sins. What you're seeing there is a testimony that Christians are not exempt from suffering. Sometimes Christians suffer more than anyone, but right in the middle of all of this suffering and and loss and grief, you see these early Christians still praised God and they still rendered praise and joy to the name of the Lord. And so as we find ourselves in these weird times, wherever you find yourself, whether this hasn't affected you at all, or whether this has affected you and your family deeply, we, Story Church, can have a testimony just like those early Christians. We can have it written of us, despite everything going on, that is a joyful people. That is a joyful church. And we're going to look at that through the lens of 1 Thessalonians 5 today. So let me just kind of lay out the outline for us as we're going to work through it. Uh, The gospel gives rise to joy in us because, and here's the three reasons why. Number one, God is our Savior. Number two, God is our Father. And number three, God's hand is active in our midst. God's hand is active in our lives. So let me just begin by kind of summing up the world we are living in right now. Right now, we are all really aware that we live in a sin-fractured world. We live in a world that has been stained and broken by sin, and the effects of sin are touching every corner of our globe. And just real quick, by the way, this has always been the world we have lived in. Right now, God has just been kind to us to reveal to us how broken we are and how broken this creation is because of sin. But that's not the way things have always been. 
Rather, we get a picture in the story of Scripture of something altogether different. In, in Genesis 1 and 2, we get a picture of the original creation, of how God created the heavens and the earth and our first parents, Adam and Eve. And he created everything perfect because he is holy. And in this garden called Eden, there was harmony, there was peace. It was God's dwelling place and he was with his people and they were with him as their God. And, and then we see at the end of the Bible in, Je- in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, we see a new garden, a garden that's better than Eden, the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth where God will restore and remake all things and he will dwell again with with his people forevermore and sin will be eradicated from everything. But in the in-between from Genesis 3 to Revelation 19, we see this picture of a broken world that you and I are living in. We, we see this in disease. We see this in the evil in this world. We, we see this in the, in the sadness that we experience. We see this in the tears that we all shed each and every day and especially in these weird times. But Christian, there's good news for us. The story of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 is that there is a redeemer and his name is Jesus. And he has come to rescue us and save us. And he has come to make us new and we will be with him forevermore. And one day when he consummates everything, we will dwell with him and there will be no separation between God and man. And we will worship his name forevermore, but we're not fully there yet. But in the middle of it, right now in the in-between, we can still have deep and abiding joy. And the reason why is God is our savior. God is our savior. He's the one who saves us up out of this sin-broken world. So look with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm just going to read verses 16 through 18. Read along with me. Paul will write to the Thessalonian church. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what I want to do with this text is just kind of work backwards to that command rejoice. We're going to start at the end of verse 18 and work our way back to verse 16. At the very end, we kind of get this tagline and and many of us can just kind of bypass that. But I really think that tagline there is the key to this entire verse. Paul says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, now let's rehearse the commands he just gave that church in, in Thessalonica. He will say, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances and pray without ceasing. Now, now I, don't, I don't know about you, but that sounds uh, all encompassing. You heard the word always, you heard all, in all circumstances. Uh, preacher H.B. Charles will say, these are the standing orders of the gospel. As gospel people, this is, is what is commanded and required of us. But, but if you just hear those commands on their own, they sound a little bit crazy, right? They sound a little bit radical. How can I pray always? How can I give thanks in all things? How can I rejoice always? But we have that tagline there at the end of verse 18 that changes everything. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
The dominant metaphor you're gonna see in the New Testament for what it means to be saved is to be in Christ Jesus, united to Christ by faith. When you turn from your sin and you trust in him, at that very moment, you are in Christ Jesus. According to the Bible, that means God is your savior and you are saved in Christ. So let me tell you some truths of you if you are indeed in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna put some slides up and I'm just gonna fly through them. So so keep Keep up if you can, but uh, you can always go back to and listen to this as we go. Here's what the New Testament will say of someone who is in Christ Jesus. First, the New Testament will say, in Christ, we were chosen before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us in him, that is in Christ Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before all things, we were chosen by God. Uh, in Christ, we have forgiveness of all sin. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, and the riches of his grace cannot run out. Number three, in Christ Jesus, we are not saved according to our works, but we are saved according to his grace. Second Timothy 1 9 will say, Christ who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages even began. Number four, in Christ, we are justified. That is declared righteous before God and made entirely new. This is in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then in verse 21, we see, for our sake, he made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the very righteousness of God. Keep going with me. In Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 6 says, and we are raised up with him, with Christ Jesus and seated with him in the heavenly places. Next, in Christ, we have our peace and our provision. We see this in Philippians chapter four, verse seven says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And later on in verse 19, Paul says, and my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Two more. In Christ, we look, look forward to life forevermore. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, for as in Adam all died, so also in Christ Jesus shall all be made alive, alive now and forever. And then the last one, my favorite of the bunch. In Christ, we are never separated from him or for, from his love. Listen to Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, anything else, hear this, coronavirus, economic turmoil, isolations, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. To be in Christ means God is your savior.
God is your savior. And our salvation is so much more than a temporary sweeping of the sin under the rug. Salvation is about God totally renewing and remaking, remaking all things, including us. It is about knowing that all of our sins are forgiven and wiped away. Not only are your sins forgiven, but you are given the very righteousness of Christ. So when God sees you, he doesn't see any of your hurts, habits, or hangups. He sees Christ Jesus who clothes you. It's about knowing that God in Christ has defeated Satan. It's about knowing that Christ Jesus got up out of that grave and defeated death on your behalf. It is about knowing who God is and what God has done. God is your savior. Salvation is about God justifying us by the blood of Jesus, growing us by the power of the spirit and one day glorifying us as we will rule with Christ Jesus. So these commands here, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, are no longer so radical. They almost seem a little bit assumed here. If I am in Christ Jesus, if God has saved me, how can I not rejoice always? How can I be full of misery if I am in Christ Jesus? How can I not pray always to the one who has saved me and inclines his ear to hear me? How can I not give thanks in all things when Christ is my savior? He is still enthroned and he's going nowhere. So Christian, Be full of joy. You are fully, freely, forever forgiven in Christ Jesus. You are free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And no global pandemic can steal that from you. You are in Christ Jesus. So first, the gospel gives rise to joy in us because God is our Savior. Rejoice, Christian. Point number two, the gospel gives rise to joy within us because God is our father. God is our father. So let's work backwards again. Uh, We see this phrase, for the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, but there's two commands right before that in verses 17 and 18. Paul says, pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. So, so believe it or not here, Paul is using a little bit of hyperbole. And, and as a preacher, that gives me a little bit of comfort to use hyperbole once in a while. Like I have some warrant now. So forgive me for when I do that or don't because Paul did it. Uh, anyways, Paul isn't saying that the only thing you should be thinking about, breathing, doing is praying. He's not saying always and forever pray and neglect all your other responsibilities. Paul is not saying to us that everything you glance at, give thanks for it. Like, thank you for that camera. Thank you for that light. Thank you for that table. Thank you for that cup of coffee. Like, praise God for coffee. But Paul's not saying in all things, just only give thanks. But rather what Paul is trying to do is point out to us that the life of the Christian will rise and fall. And in all of those things, we should still run to God in prayer and we should still render thanksgiving to God in all things. So we don't don't just give God thanksgiving when things are going good, but also when things are hard. We don't just pray when we're on the mountaintop. We pray when we're in the valley, not just in prosperity, but also in poverty, not just in highs, but also in lows, not just in health, but also in sickness, not just in ease, but also in difficulty. In all circumstances, the Christian is marked by being a person of prayer and of thanksgiving. Now, how can we do that? 
Well, when we think biblically about what prayer is and what gratitude is, what the biblical authors are trying to do is wrap us up into the familial status we have as God's people. When we think about prayer itself, it's about the fact that we have a father in heaven who stoops his knee and inclines his ear and locks eyes with us and listens to our very words. He is our father. We are his sons and daughters. When we think about thanksgiving, when we think about gratitude, we think about our good father who only gives good gifts to his children. What the biblical authors are trying to do is wrap us up in the fatherhood of God. So let me just give a couple of examples for each of these. When, when, when we think about prayer and the fatherhood of God, we, we look to the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter six, the disciples run to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And Jesus answers like this, do not be like them, that is the Pharisees, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses." Right there in the disciples asking Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus says, it's not about the words you pray. It's about who you're praying to. And he is your father. Later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus will continue in chapter seven and say this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? For the Christian, prayer begins with confidence that God is not only our savior and in his salvation, he possesses the power to change everything with the word like we talked about last last week. But prayer is also about orienting our hearts and our minds to God, not only being our savior, but also being our father. And his desire as father is to do good by his children. When it comes to giving thanks or having gratitude, we see the Bible puts our thanksgiving within the framework of God as Father. Listen to a couple of verses here with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. We always thank God the Father. Ephesians 5, 20 will say, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in Philippians 4 and in Colossians 3 and in other places as well. But again, our gratitude and our thanksgiving in all things is not based in our circumstances, but it's based in who God is as our Father. And so Christian, this should be stunning to you. The fact that the creator God of the universe, the holy and blameless one, the one that is without spot or blemish, the perfect God of everything is your Father. Father. What this means for you is that God is for you. 
God will never leave you hanging out to dry. God will never leave you without providing for your needs. God is faithful to you in all things. God always has your best in mind. He loves you with a steadfast love. God is cherishing you right now. He is delighted in you right now. Zephaniah will say right now at this very moment, your father in heaven is singing over you. This is how much your father loves you. So we can give thanks and we can pray without ceasing because God is our father. You know, when Owen needs me most as a son and me as his father is, is not when he's got everything together, not when he's got, got it figured out, not when things are going smoothly. He does need me then, if we're being honest, he's two. But he also needs me most desperately when things are out of whack and out of control and he's in over his head and he runs to me. He knows that as his dad, I can help him and, and he trusts that as a father, I'm gonna do good by him. Christian, in this very moment, wherever you find yourself on the emotional spectrum of experiencing this shelter in place and, and the effects of the economy and the brokenness of viruses and death just surrounded by depressing news all day long, wherever you find yourself on that emotional spectrum, run to your father. I beg you, run to your father. He is good. And where you feel out of whack and out of control and desperate, he is in control, he is sovereign, he is good, and he is listening. Christian, run to your father and allow God's fatherhood to be the source of your joy in your life. Despite the way your life looks right now, God is still your father, God still cares for you, and God still gives you good gifts. God still wants your best. Be joyful, Christian. God is your father. So the gospel will give rise to joy within us for, for two reasons. God is our savior and God is our father. But finally, we'll also see in this text that we have joy in all things because God's hand is active in our midst. Paul in verse 16 says, rejoice always. A Christian can only rejoice always because we believe God is our savior, we believe God is our father, and we believe God is active in our lives by his spirit's power. That while we might be on lockdown, we might be isolated, the Holy Spirit is not on lockdown. The Holy Spirit is still actively moving in our hearts and our minds. He is actively moving in our church. He is actively moving in our world. The Holy Spirit cannot be stopped or slowed. He is doing his work. And right now he is doing a great work so we can rejoice. Uh, one commentator when commenting on verse 16 here will say this. To rejoice always is to see the hand of God in whatever is happening and to remain certain of God's future salvation. Without this conviction, joy is not possible in the face of affliction, suffering, or death. That's Charles A. Wanamaker commenting on this text, which by the way, that's an incredible last name, Wanamaker. I love that. Cunningham's boring in comparison. Right now, via the pain we're experiencing in our lives, via the anxiety, via the circumstances of this world, uh, many of us are becoming more aware of God's active hand in our lives by his spirit. And for that, we have much to rejoice over. God's spirit is moving in you, Christian. And we, we see this in a couple of different ways. We see this individually and we see this corporately. So, so just some of the ways I'm hearing some stories in our church or even in my own home and in my own 
life. I'm seeing God move by his spirit's power individually. First, I'm seeing God revealed sin tendencies in my own life and in my marriage and in my home. And I'm hearing stories of this. What God is doing right now is things slow down is he's giving us eyes to see things more clearly. As we have a slower pace in life, we're more in tune with the state of our hearts. We're more in tune with with what we're looking to for salvation and how we are walking in sin against God. And God has given us a ton of space to do that work in our hearts and to turn from those things, repent of those things and trust in Jesus all the more. God is revealing sin tendencies. Number two, God is revealing to us what we worship or idolize outside of him. God is showing us idols of comfort, idols of convenience, idols of ease, idols of control. And in this moment, it's a gift to us to begin just slashing those idols from our lives and worshiping God alone. Let us turn from idolatry and trust in Jesus. And in another way, he's revealing yet again our dependence upon him. We friends are utterly dependent upon God. It's not that coronavirus came into our world and all of a sudden we depend upon God. We have always been dependent upon God, but as a result of our situation around us, we are becoming more aware of our dependence. And so God is giving us the gift to return to the vine and abide in the vine. Be dependent Christian. These are gifts of God to us by his spirit's power working in our midst. And we have much to rejoice over in that. We're also seeing God actively working in the church corporate, the church at large. God first is sifting and refining us. He's showing us what matters most, who matters most. He's giving us a view of why we do this physical gathering each and every week. I don't know about you. We had a prayer call this past week and just seeing faces on a screen lifted my heart, lifted my spirits. And I can't wait for that first Sunday back where I get to shake every hand if they let me or hug every person. I'll I'll Purell first, I promise. But I can't wait for that day. So Christian, God is showing us that, that the gathering and the community of the saints that we experience is not an expectation we have of him, but it's a privilege that we steward. It's a gift from him and we can rejoice in that. Number two, God is showing us that the church is not and never has been a building, but rather it's a people. While we're not gathering in the building each and every week, God's mission is still going forth. God is still glorifying himself. God is still saving people. God is still ministering to us. God is still comforting us in our affliction. And the church organic is always more powerful than the church organized. And right now we're relearning what it means to be the priesthood of believers, serving each other, loving each other, encouraging each other, and doing it without a weekly gathering or a building to gather in. And then finally, God is actively giving us greater unity. The non-essentials are being stripped from us. And we're seeing more clearly that some of the things we have divided over, some things that have separated us, they're just silly little non-essentials. And we are seeing the unity in God's greater church across Southern California, across this nation, across this world, as we hear story after story after story of churches serving together, churches preaching the gospel together, churches reaching cities together. And we are showing a unity and a love one to another, unlike anything our world has ever seen. 
seen. So we can rejoice in that. We are unified along the gospel and the work of the gospel. And that's all we got right now, friends. So let's rejoice in the gospel. So maybe I can sum up the active hand of God in our lives right now by saying God is giving us eyes to see things more clearly. He's giving us deeper understanding of the scriptures. You see, the scriptures are written along the grain of suffering. And as North American people, we have experienced a great deal of privilege and blessing. And right now, much of that has been taken from us. So as we go to the scriptures, we're getting deeper understanding and deeper emotional connections. And this is a gift as God has given us much to rejoice over. So let God give rise to exceeding gladness with within our souls for what he's doing in our hearts and in our lives right now. So friends, how can we be a source of joy in these weird times? Maybe I can just phrase this whole passage this way. Christian, because we are saved in Christ Jesus, God is our forever father and the spirit is always active in our lives and in this world. We can rejoice over that. We can take heart in that. We can worship King Jesus for that. And if you're not a Christian and you're just tuning in, let me just say the call is there. The invitation from Jesus is there. Jesus is saying, come to me, trust in me. And everything that was just preached can become true of you instantaneously. You can have a deep and exceeding gladness, not in your circumstances, but you can look right through those circumstances and look to the risen King Jesus who is ruling and reigning over all things in perfection and you can trust in him alone and you can have that same source of joy. All you do is turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. But Christian, let us have something written of us in the days, months, and years to come that that church, that people, man, they had joy even as they lost jobs, even as they experienced really bad diagnosis, even as people close to them experience pain and loss and grief, even in the midst of all of that, that is a joyful people. And they're joyful because they are in Christ. God is their savior. God is their father and he listens to them. And God's spirit is active in their midst. And we can see that in their lives and in how they live. Church, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the joy that we do have in Christ Jesus. We thank you that in him we are saved, not by our own merit, our own work, our own effort, but by the grace, the riches of grace in Christ Jesus. He has saved us. It's not just temporary, this is forever. And not only, God, are you our savior in Christ, but God, you are our father. And when we cry out to you, you hear us. So as we cry out today, God, we pray you would incline your ear to hear us and respond. And finally, we trust that even in the midst of all of the craziness and all the weirdness in our world right now, the spirit is not restrained, but the spirit is moving in power individually and corporately and throughout this world. And so God, we trust you, we worship you, and we ask that you would cultivate more joy in our hearts and in our lives because of these truths. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.